Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. If you or someone you know has a child with autism in their family, answers and support can be hard to come by. Welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio with host Dr. Bill Freya. We will offer practical information for parents of children of all ages, as well as explore treatment topics and recent research related to autism. Now, here is Dr. Bill Freya. Hey, welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio. I'm your host for the hour, Rob Haupt. I'm the Vice President of Business Development at Autism Spectrum Therapies, and I'm also a board-certified behavior analyst. Um, This week, we are taking a little different direction. Um, If you've been listening to the show for the last few weeks, we've been focusing on teens, and and we've really been emphasizing a lot about ABA. And obviously, as a a BCBA, or board-certified behavior analyst, uh, I have a lot of experience and background with ABA and that approach. But today I wanted to go in a slightly different direction and talk about other services because as uh, as preferential as I am to ABA for all of its research and all of its outcomes, um, there is a lot of other options out there. And getting to meet a lot of families, uh, meeting parents who are brand new to the diagnosis um, or even parents who, who aren't so new to the diagnosis but have – looking for other alternatives, other options, new troubles arise, um, they're always looking for more. And I, I personally believe in not just in uh, providing therapy to kids with autism, but just in life, that there is no one size fits all. And we should always be at informing ourselves as what else is out there. What can we do better? So this week, I wanted to start looking at those other options. Um, and I thought the best place to start was looking at occupational therapy. Um, occupational therapy goes so well with other therapies like ABA, other therapies like speech uh, and language therapy. Um, but it's something that we talk a lot about. But I know when I started working in the field, I didn't know very much about. So when I was thinking about this show and going into this new topic, I wanted to bring in someone who I turn to when I'm stuck, uh, the person who I turn to when I'm looking for OT advice and I'm looking to uh, expand the program. And uh, just like me, she has a lot of experience working with uh, different methods of therapy and bringing together a more collaborative approach. Um, Because I know personally, I I get a little cheesy. I I go back to my old sport days and I feel like the team approach is always the best approach um, where we can all be learning from one another and collaborating with one another um, and really kind of going back to those ideas of community, providing a therapy community and support community around the individual with autism as well as whoever else is coming to contact. 
Uh, OT can support ABA and can provide support and assistance to me in my tough times. Uh, we can provide support and assistance to parents, to teachers, to whomever's working with the child. So uh, with all of that said, um, my guest this week is uh, Valerie Adams. Um, Valerie is someone who I've had the pleasure of knowing for uh, close to two years now because she's the director of occupational therapy and speech and language therapy here at Autism Spectrum Therapies. Um, and as I said, she's the person that I turn to first when when I need help uh, specifically with OT. Um, Valerie joined us in uh, April 2011 and she has 29 years experience as an occupational therapist. She primarily worked with children, but does have some experience with uh, adolescents and adults as well. Um, her knowledge of children and adolescents with disabilities is extensive, and she has been an invited speaker for several professional conferences and workshops to present on topics such as autism, bipolar disorder in children and adolescents, and collaborating with educational teams. She's also been a speaker for numerous parent groups and topics relating to learning through play and sensory processing issues in children with autism, ADHD, and learning disabilities. Uh, Valerie has advanced training in sensory integration and is certified to administer the sensory integration and practice tests. In 2003, she was the recipient of the Occupational Therapy Practice Award from the Occupational Therapy Association of California. In addition to being an alumnus from the University of Southern California, she's been a clinical faculty member of the Department of Occupational Science and Occupational Therapy at USC. She's an active volunteer in professional organizations, having been elected and also appointed to positions in the American Occupational Therapy Association and the Occupational Therapy Association of California. She's donated time to community organizations such as the Boy Scouts of America, a parent-teacher organization, and community advisory councils. And after all of those accolades and all of those accomplishments, she's also uh, been here in Southern California her whole life and raised two fabulous sons, ages uh, 20 and 19, has a husband of 25 years, dogs, critters, and it sounds like two new chickens running around her yard. So uh, with all that said, Valerie, thank you so much for joining me today. <laughs> thank you for having me. It sounds I, uh, pretty I, funny that I uh, that you're mentioning my chickens. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was funny for me. I, I I had this moment reading through all of your accomplishments. I'm like, wow! I forgot what an incredible resume you had when when that I read when we first met. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, so I'm going to start off with kind of the the probably the easiest, the most obvious, or probably not the easiest, but oh. the most obvious question, which is just. What is occupational therapy? I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I was about to say, wait a minute, what do you mean that's an easy question? Uh, it is the most obvious, though. Yes, occupational therapy is often hard to explain to people because uh, occupational therapists work with people in so many different settings and of so many different ages, and we help people become as independent as possible following different kinds of injuries or illnesses or congenital disabilities. And uh, the, the reason we're called occupational therapists is because we use occupation as part of our therapy modality. And back at the, the turn of the last century when occupational therapy was started and they coined that name, occupation meant how you occupy your time. 
since then, it's become the term that people think of when they think of what you do for a living. And so now people say, oh, you're an occupational therapist. That means you're going to get me a better job or help me do my job better. And people think of it solely in those terms. And that is part of what occupational therapists can do. But we're really concerned with the role people have their entire day. And we really feel that a balance of work, rest, and play is important. So we want to make sure that people are able to do what they want to do in their leisure time as well as what they want to do when they have to work. And also what they need to do just in their daily lives. We call them activities of daily living, but it includes getting up and getting dressed and fixing themselves breakfast and driving their car or taking the bus to work, whatever they need to do throughout the day to, to be as independent and functional and enjoy their life as much as possible. The other reason it's kind of confusing to figure out what occupational therapists do is because we work with so many different age groups from newborn babies in the hospital to the elderly in skilled nursing facilities. And we work in schools and homes and hospitals and community centers. So I like to give this analogy of the, the blind men that come across an elephant in the middle of nowhere, and it's the first time they've ever been near an elephant. And so one blind man feels the tail and says, oh, an elephant's like a rope. And another blind man feels the, the trunk and says, oh, no, an elephant's like a snake. And another blind man comes and feels the, the legs and said, no, an elephant's like a trunk of a tree, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it's the same thing with occupational therapy. If you've had exposure to an occupational therapist because your grandparent had a stroke and the occupational therapist helped your, your grandmother uh, learn how to get around in the kitchen and fix herself a meal again and take a bath, then that's what you think occupational therapists do. And then you're surprised to hear, oh, you work in schools with children? Well, what do they need to do? They don't have occupations. Or they think, well, what do you mean you work with children? children with autism? How, you know, how do you work with them? And again, it gets back to our definition of occupation is what they need to do. A child in school, their occupation is to be able to sit at a desk and pay attention to the teacher and write their homework assignments and play on the playground and eat their lunch. They have a lot of occupations throughout their day. I mean, I feel like you're talking to me at 16 because that my first exposure to <laughs> occupational therapists was working with um, the elderly population. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I first started working with children with autism, that, that is exactly what I said. I was like, wait, what's the OT doing here? How, how is this all supposed to work? Mm -hmm. uh, I, yeah, no, you, you brought a lot of smiles to my face with that, <laughs> with that uh, summary. Um, but, it, you know, just because, again, I, this is something I'm just getting exposed to uh, through getting to know you better and as well as uh, getting to know a few of my friends who have been moving into the OT world. But what kind of uh, training and uh, education does an occupational therapist have to go through? Oh, well, there, there's two different levels. Uh, one is if you become um, an actual a practicing occupational therapist, you have to have a minimum of a master's degree. At a university and you major in occupational therapy or occupational science and then you also have to uh, do internships or field work training we call it where you're actually working out in the field supervised by somebody then you take a national certification exam to 
to say that you're qualified to be an occupational therapist. And many states, most states now also require you to become licensed in that state. Then there's also another level that is called an occupational therapy assistant, and they have to have a minimum of an, an associate arts degree and also do internship training and also take the certification exam and become licensed. And they are um, they're fully trained and capable of providing therapy. The occupational therapist, though, has a little broader understanding about the theory and the treatment approaches, and so they oversee the, the program development of, of the individual. Sounds really familiar to me, like with the ABA model of a BCBA overseeing a trained interventionist who's mm -hmm. implementing a program, whereas the BCBA is supervising and developing that program. Exactly. Very similar. Fantastic. Well, I'm going to hold you up right there. We got the basics of OT now, and I want to start going into the uh, – I know I overgeneralized the word basics, <laughs> but I want to go into some more details about mm -hmm. OT and, and the, the therapy model itself, uh, and we'll do that right after we come back from this break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. At Autism Spectrum Therapies, we understand how confusing funding options have become, as well as the difficulties that often come with seeking insurance approval. Our knowledgeable insurance team can help you become informed about your options and assist you in securing the services your child needs and deserves. Our client advocates specialize in obtaining pre-authorization for insurance coverage of AST's services. If you have questions about your insurance coverage, call our insurance team today at 866-278-1520. Everyone deserves a life filled with happiness, confidence, and achievements. Code Metro, developers of NPA Works business management software, is proud to partner with Autism Spectrum Therapies and its efforts in creating futures for individuals with autism. To fulfill our duties, we promise a special needs product that helps organizations operate efficiently, providing them with a business system that evolves as rapidly as they do. The results? A streamlined practice to help maintain quality services. Discover how we help businesses succeed at NPAWorks.com. Need to replace aging IT infrastructure? Want a way to scale IT resources on demand? Looking for affordable disaster recovery alternatives? Then maybe the cloud is for you. If you aren't sure where or how to start, CenterBeam can help. Over the past decade, we've moved hundreds of clients to the cloud and for a limited time are offering a 25% discount on a cloud readiness assessment. It includes detailed recommendations for your transition to the cloud and is yours to keep. Call 877-710-8880 or visit centerbeam.com forward slash voice America. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio with Dr. Bill Freya. If you have a question or comment for the host or guests, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. 
Now, back to the program. Hey, welcome back to Autism Spectrum Radio. I'm your host, Rob Haupt, and I'm joined today by uh, my good friend, Valerie Adams, uh, my resident OT expert who I go to for all my OT questions. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about OT. And uh, we spent the first part talking a little bit about just what occupational therapy is. And uh, Valerie, we're talking about a really broad range of what occupational therapy can be used for. And, and I think that's one of the things that I like about it and I like about what you bring to these OT discussions is it, it is broad. It's a science that we can apply to a broad range. But being that we're Autism Spectrum Radio, I was hoping to, to narrow our focus a little bit and, and talk a little bit about the kinds of skills that occupational therapists work on with children with autism. Excellent. Well, one of the, the difficulties with working with children with autism is that they have a, um, well, you might say a mind of their own, so to speak, and they have certain uh, things, activities that they want to do that aren't necessarily either what we as society want them to do or what is going to make them functional as adults. And so uh, one of the difficulties is making sure that uh, we find the way to teach them those functional skills that uh, is motivating to them. Uh, I don't know if you've talked about this before, but that's, that's one of the crucial things with working with children with autism is find Absolutely. out what's motivating. Yeah, yep. no matter, big part of our talks. Yeah, that's, that's what I figured. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know me well. <laughs> it's the same thing when, uh, when any professional is working or parents or anybody is, is trying to help children with autism. But ultimately, what we want them to be able to do is to, uh, to be able to take care of themselves to do their, what I referred to before as activities of daily living, to brush their teeth, to feed themselves, those kind, dress themselves, those kinds of daily activities. Uh, so sometimes what interferes with them being able to do that might be a weak grasp, uh, uncoordination, or uh, an aversion to some sort of sensory input. So we look at the foundations of what making it difficult for the child to do the tasks that we want them to do. If there is a, a difficulty at that foundational neurological or neuromotor level, then we work on helping them uh, improve that foundational skill. Then it's easier for other people on the team to teach them through practice. So for example, if you want a child to be able to, uh, to dress themselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the mom and the behavior interventionist and the school teacher and everybody's tried to get him to put on his shirt over his head, and he doesn't want to do it. And the OT observes and, and finds out more about the child, not just about this. I'm really giving a very concrete example here sure. to make it simpler. But let's say that he doesn't want to pull on his shirt because he doesn't like the way his hair pulls down over his face when he does it. So by, by analyzing that and figuring out, oh, okay, well, if we let him put it on this way, where he puts his arms in first and then he can hold the, the, the front of his shirt so it goes over his face, he can hold it so it doesn't brush down his face, then he's okay with putting on his shirt. 
that kind of a perspective might be something that nobody else had thought of until the OT watched him put on his shirt. So then, once that problem is solved, now the parent can practice doing it and the behavior interventionist can practice doing it and who else, whoever else can practice putting on the shirt with easier success. That's just one concrete example. Fantastic. And, and you mentioned, you know, in, in your description, you mentioned sensory. Mm-hmm. And on, on our show in the past, uh, we've talked a little bit about just sensory and some of the sensory needs of kids with autism. Mm-hmm. But I know one of the terms that I hear a lot about is um, sensory processing mm-hmm. or sensory integration. Um, and I was hoping you could explain to us a little bit more about what that is and how that fits in. Sure, sure. Uh, sensory integration is a, a treatment approach that was developed by an, an occupational therapist in the early 70s. And uh, she called it sensory integration because she had done a lot of studies and research about how important it is for all the sensory systems to be integrated by the brain in order for us to learn as human beings and have appropriate output. Output meaning the way you do things, how how coordinated you are and, and how you function and get things done. And um, so she developed different treatment techniques to help the brain integrate those sensory systems more efficiently and therefore help children be able to learn and do things better. As more and more children with autism started being diagnosed, um, they, they were finding that many children, not all, but many children with autism also have um, some sensory processing uh, issues. And so um, children with autism started being treated using this, this therapy approach called sensory integration. Um, the, the pure sensory integration treatment approach, which is now called AIRS sensory integration, uh, is a very specific treatment approach that helps a lot of children. It's not exactly ideal for children with autism because it needs to be combined with other approaches as well, such as a behavioral approach and a developmental approach. And so um, many people have now started calling it a sensory processing disorder so that it can encompass all children with difficulty processing sensory information, not just those that truly have just a sensory integration dysfunction. A child with a sensory integration dysfunction is a child who doesn't have any other disability. They're a child who, because they can't process sensory information from the environment, it's interfering with them being able to learn at school. They're clumsy or they're, um, they're overly sensitive. They may have social skills problems. They may have a lot of these things, but they don't have autism or cerebral palsy or, or any of these other reasons for why they have that. On the other hand, a child with autism who also has sensory processing problems is kind of in a different, a different category. And occupational therapists use the, the neurological knowledge and background of the importance of sensory integration to treat those children, but it's a slightly different treatment approach. 
And again, sensory processing disorder can be more um, more global. It could be a child who has any kind of uh, sensitivity. Children with autism, often what you find with them is they're overly sensitive to touch or overly sensitive to noise or mm-hmm. they, um, they uh, either seek a lot of movement or avoid movement. Those are kind of the, the main things we see with children with autism. And so we definitely want to help them be able to process all this sensory information from the environment so that they can learn to function. Like in my example about dressing, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, if that was the only reason he wasn't dressing, that's a pretty easy solution once you figure out what it is. Sure. Uh, there are certainly much more complicated cases of, of sensory processing. Um, so people with autism have these um, sensory processing problems that, that do need to be addressed, but it's not uh, necessarily the same as the sensory integration diagnosis, sensory integration dysfunction diagnosis, but they all get lumped together because people just kind of use this word sensory. Oh, it's sensory, it's sensory. Um, yeah. But exactly, we hear that a lot. Yeah. But it takes an occupational therapist who is trained in it to, to tease it out and figure out what really is the foundational difficulty that that child is having and what is the best treatment approach to help them. And it's often a combination, like I said. You know, the, um, with the sensory piece, is that where you know, I, I've sat in um, in a number of IEPs and I mm-hmm. see in the IEP the different services there's going to be the one-on-one OT, maybe it's a pullout or in the classroom, mm-hmm. and then they talk about the clinic. Is, is the clinic where the sensory piece comes into play when we're talking about treating some of the sensory needs of the kids with autism? The children that need to go to a clinic environment or a special therapy room are ones that have trouble specifically with um, what I was talking about with movement mm, because okay. we use specific therapeutic equipment, suspended swings and big bolsters and uh, lots of padded floors so that they can have rough and tumble play and, and, and be on the swings and be safe. And so those kinds of children, they make more progress if we see them in a therapy environment. Children that have trouble with um, simply sensory Sometimes those children don't need the clinic environment, and we can treat them in other environments. If they have everything, then the clinic environment is the best because we can address all the sensory systems in in a clinic environment and have some control where we're working on, again, like I said, those foundational skills. We're trying to change the nervous system so that it can respond to the sensory input better and mm-hmm. then we can work on those functional skills and generalize it to the to the environment that they need to function in. Well, you're reminding me of a conversation we had a while back, and I was hoping you could uh, quickly tell us. Uh, you, you told me of the importance of the swing and how that's used and, and the purpose of the swing, and you mentioned that as a big part of the clinic. Mm-hmm. I was hoping you could share with us what the importance of and how that works. Okay. For children that have difficulty interpreting vestibular input, that's what we use the swing for. Vestibular is 
It's the sense you have of where your head is in relationship to gravity. So, for example, if your head is upside down or it's spinning around, uh, the, the inner ear senses that and tells the brain that the, the head is moving. It's also the part where it makes you motion sick. So if your vestibular system is telling you that you're moving one way and, say, your vision is telling you you're moving the other way, uh, then that's when you start getting motion sick. In adults, we typically, our, our nervous system matures to the point where we don't necessarily like spinning around and feeling dizzy. You know, you go to Disneyland and you see the teacup ride that spins around and around, and the kids are on there laughing. Oh, they love spinning around. And the adults are on the sidelines just watching, just getting dizzy even just watching it. But when we're children, we crave that. We love being dizzy and having that sensation, and it's helping our nervous system to to develop and figure out where we are in space. And so it eventually helps with body awareness and coordination. And so this, for children who either, either they are too sensitive to that movement, th- these are the kids that get car sick a lot, mm. who don't like to go on the swings on the playground, who don't even like to be picked up and thrown around. Uh, we have to use the, the movement from the swings to desensitize them to that and help the nervous system respond to that. Then on the other end of the spectrum, there are kids, like I said, most kids like to, to spin around and have that dizziness sensation, but there are kids who can spin and spin and spin and never get dizzy because mm-hmm. they're not responding to that. They're not sensing that that motion. And so we have to help those children realize and, and help the brain sense, oh, I'm moving, I'm spinning, again, to help their nervous system respond to that. So that, that's why we use the swings. Then, of course, getting back to motivation, it's fun. You know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the other really important part of you know, getting back to the whole sensory integration treatment approach is what we call an adaptive response, meaning the child has to, um, has to have a purposeful uh, response to what they're doing in order for the brain to have benefit from it. So I could take a child and stick them in, a, in an office chair and spin them around 10 times, and that's not going to have the same effect as oh, we're on the swing and we're pretending to be pirates and, mm. oh, here comes the wave and, and they have to adjust their balance and, oh, now you've got to throw this beanbag over here and, and hit that shark or, you know, whatever. We make it playful so it's yeah. motivating. But the action that they're doing, as long as it's purposeful, that sends feedback to the brain that the brain can then understand and you do that enough and the brain realizes, oh, I get it. Now I understand. Takes a lot of repetition. No, that makes perfect sense. And, and you know, I, I think back to some of my former uh, clients that I've worked with, and mm-hmm. that story just always resonates with me of like, ah, now, now I get it. Now <laughs> I get why we're doing this. Oh, good. Well, I want to, we're going to take a break right now. 
Um, but when we come back, we're going to spend some more time talking with Valerie Adams about um, OT and how it uh, can be embedded in, in collaboration with other therapies. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Shepard Mullen Richter in Hampton is a proud supporter of Autism Spectrum Therapies. Shepard Mullen is a full-service law firm with more than 570 attorneys in 14 offices located in the United States, Europe, and Asia. Companies turn to Shepard Mullen to handle corporate and technology matters, high-stakes litigation, and complex financial transactions. For more information, please visit shepardmullen.com. BDO is dedicated to service. From serving our clients to serving the communities in which we live and work. Through BDO Counts, our national corporate volunteer program, employees across the country volunteer their time, talent, and resources for the good of local communities. And now, BDO is proud to support Autism Spectrum Therapies. We believe in doing our best to make the world a little better. That's why people who know community involvement know BDO. At Autism Training Solutions, we know what it's like to work with children with autism. And we know what professional development can do for a school, a child, and a family. That is why we want to give 50 schools in the U.S. access to ATS professional development for a whole year. All you need to do is tell us how ATS would make a difference for your team in a one-minute video or a 500-word essay. For a complete set of rules, visit AutismTrainingSolutions.com backslash contest opinions options answers you're listening to voice america health and wellness this is autism spectrum radio with dr bill freya if you have a question or comment for the host or guests please send an email to more info at autismtherapies.com that's more info at autismtherapies.com now, back to the program. Hey, everybody. We're back. Uh, this is Rob Haupt speaking with Valerie Adams on Autism Spectrum Radio. Uh, Valerie, so much of that last segment, you know, I had all these moments of, yeah, that's really similar to what I do. Uh, you were talking about the play on the swing and, and the idea of we're pirates and we've got to throw the beanbag. I'm like, wow, it sounds like a lot of the play-based ABA and, and embedding and making things more natural and more purposeful. And it, it, it seems like, and, and obviously from both of our experiences, OT and ABA in particular, I think, go really well together. They can, they can really complement each other. And I know you've already referenced a few, um, a few things about how an OT can teach maybe a parent or an interventionist how to embed some OT into segments. Um, and so I was wondering, do you have any, starting off, are, are there some, some best practices for, uh, sort of for some of our parents or for some of our professionals out there of, of how to make that happen, how to collaborate with, uh, with other disciplines such as ABA? Well, sure, but first of all, I want to mention that I think the reason why occupational therapists and, and ABA professionals can collaborate so well is because we're both using the same basic knowledge. Mm-hmm. Occupational therapists use knowledge from psychologists 
and psychology research, just like ABA <laughs> does. So we're starting from the same knowledge base. We may be using it with the children a little bit differently, with a different focus, but uh, you know, we're we're going back to the same researchers and and the people from decades ago who has figured out more about behavior than, than, than I know anyway, and I'm just counting on them. Uh, so uh, one of the approaches that occupational therapists already have used with people is a behavior approach. Mm-hmm. W- the reason why it's different than, than what ABAs do is because we're, we're using it more to, get, to accomplish what our goals are and, uh, like I said, to motivate, to... Um, to encourage, to reward, things like that, as opposed to to ABA professionals are they their outcome and their goals is is much more specific and mm-hmm. and it's much more um, tailored to a, you know a specific task. Mm-hmm. Um, and while they're doing that, you know, back to your to your answer of how we can elaborate. When we look at the goals of the child, we all kind of have a little bit different focus. And we look at it through different lenses of how we can help that child reach that goal. But we all want the child to reach that same goal. For example, we all want the child to be able to um, to be able to sit and attend in a classroom. We want right. them to be able to sit at the desk and and watch the teacher. So. Three or four of us from all different professions come in and we watch the child and, you know, the OT says, oh, well, he's fidgeting and not paying attention because, you know, he has sensory issues, sensory processing issues. And the, the optometrist comes in and says, oh, well, it's because um, he, can't, uh, he can't focus on, the, he can't read the board well enough. So where he's sitting, he can't see. And the speech-language pathologist comes in and says it's, um, he's not um, processing the language from the teacher, and so he doesn't know what he's supposed to be doing next. And, you know, I mean, so we all come in as different professionals and say what we think it is. And if all you had was that one view, just like the blind man and the elephant, mm-hmm. you would think that that was the answer. And if you try that and it doesn't work, well, then you're stuck and you don't know what else to try. But if you've got different options, then you can try one thing and go, okay, well, that didn't help, so maybe that wasn't the reason. Let's try this one. Or maybe it's a combination of all of those reasons, and you need to do all of them for a solution to be found. And that's a really important way that I think people need to collaborate is realize that you don't always have the answer. Somebody mm-hmm. else might have the answer. No, that's a, that's a really great point. Um, you know, within this, one of the things that I think I, I sometimes struggle with is obviously ABA is more intensive in the number of hours we spend with a child. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas an occupational therapist, uh, I'm throwing numbers out here, so correct me if I'm wrong, but you might have an hour a week with the child. Maybe it's a, a blend, maybe it's two hours, but maybe it's broken up between a, a clinic versus um, in the school or in the home. And we may be spending 30 hours with that child. And I think one of the pitfalls that sometimes we can fall into is why spend so much time with this child um, that we don't always take those other perspectives in because we're, we're always there. We're hearing so much. So is there a good way for, I mean, are there some tips or some, some best practices you found of how to 
get that collaboration going. Um, as a, if I'm a BCBA overseeing a 30 hour program, I still may have more face to face time with the child and the BI. Um, how do you as an OT, um, get that information to me or help support and make sure that I'm taking in what you're saying and then also training my interventionist to do it as well? Well, a lot of it is communication and having people who are, are willing to um, listen and take the views of other people. So it's kind of mm-hmm. a two-way street. Yeah. I can go in and say, here's my recommendations. This is what I observed. Uh, while you're doing this activity, could you do this at the same time, and this is why? But the other person on the other side has to be willing to say, okay, sure, I'll try that. Mm-hmm. One of the things that, that I do at AST is I look at what they're already doing and say, you know, you're already doing it this way, but when you do it, just tweak it a little bit. So mm-hmm. I'm not taking away from the activity that they need to do and the purpose they're doing it. Instead, we're combining it so it's two mm-hmm. things in one, and mm-hmm. the child's getting that much more benefit. For example, I keep giving you these <laughs> These really concrete examples, but that's I how love I your think. examples. No, you know I love your examples. Keep going. So, if the child needs to learn how to imitate drawing a line, mm-hmm. the the behavior interventionist is going to you know, draw the line and say, "Okay, you know, draw the line, Johnny. Here, draw it from here to there." I'll walk in and I'll say, "Okay, well, while you're practicing drawing lines, you're trying to get him to." You know, imitate. Their goal might be to imitate or follow directions or to stay with the task or, you know, whatever their goal is for doing this. And I'm going to say, well, while you're doing it, make sure they start at the top of the page and go down. And also, have it, put the pencil in their hand like this so that they're practicing it the, the right formation. Later, when they are older and they learn how to write letters, they'll already have that a better grasp with the pencil, and they'll already be starting at the top and going down, which is how we write letters. So they're still getting their goals met, and at the same time, the child is able to practice drawing lines. Now, at the same time, I might be thinking, eh, if he never practices drawing lines, I don't care. He's, you know, he, he's not ready for that anyway. But as long as they're going to practice drawing lines, let's do it the right way. Right, right. And it's the same thing with parents. I tell parents that, too. I mean, even my own mother, you know, in those days, you didn't go to, to preschool at the age of one like you do nowadays. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was home with my mom, and she taught me how to write. And right. it turns out there were some letters she taught me wrong, and the teacher had to <laughs> teach me the right way. So it's the same thing. We're, you know, they're, they're not all teachers. Parents aren't all teachers. So I'm just going to give them a little guidance to help them, help them along and do that. And again, I'm not interfering with their goals are. They're still able to do it. Another example that just happened today, as a matter of fact, throwing a ball. So not only are they working on throwing a ball, but let's work on throwing it into a target. Let's work on throwing it at some plastic bottles that are going to tip over and something's going to happen when the ball gets there. Or let's throw it into a bucket so it's, you know, like basketball. And... Uh, so, again, I'm not interfering with what they're doing. They're still doing what they want to do, but at the same time, they're working on some other goals that I want them to work on, too. And back to communication, for them to then be willing to say, oh, you know what, I tried what you suggested, and they're just not doing it. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. 
and to be willing to communicate with each other and say, oh, well, that's because I was wrong and this isn't the way you should do it. Let me change what I taught you. And, and be willing to, um, to say, okay, let's try something else. Sure, sure. Well, and it, I, I really like the, uh, the throwing the ball example because in my mind it almost goes a step further of you and I, if I'm the BCBA and you're the OT and we created this throwing the ball routine, now we can get an, uh, an adaptive uh, physical education instructor involved and mm-hmm. maybe we can incorporate some of this into the phys ed routines mm-hmm. that they're practicing. And now we've got three professionals mm-hmm. potentially all on the same page and one of the things I know we've talked about in some past episodes is consistency and just that, that big importance of that. Um, so it's – I just get excited by how we can all work together. Oh, absolutely, and especially in the school setting. It's, yeah. um, it's very important, and it's also easier, I think, for the team to, to mm-hmm. work together because you're all there. You can say, oh, yeah, exactly what you said. When he's in PE, make sure he does it this way. And, right. oh, when he's in the classroom, make sure he does it this way. And, uh, and then the other thing is to use those um, – the behavioral approaches that the BCBA is using in other settings, too. It goes both ways. We, therapists and teachers, need to make sure that we're not undoing what what they've taught. Oh, well, if every time they they pick their nose, you know, this is what we do to make them stop. But, oh, but when there were the OTs, OTs doesn't do it. Well, that's just undoing it. So we all need to do what everybody is is doing for them. Speech and language, same thing. Uh, well, let, me, let me cut you off there right real okay. quick, Valerie, because uh-huh. we're going to go to a break. Okay. But I want to pick up sure. more on this idea of what others can be doing. And I particularly want to talk a little bit about some things that parents can be doing um, and some of the things that you teach them in, uh, in your work as well. Okay. So we'll talk more about that when we come back from this break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. If you are considering how cloud computing might benefit your business, CenterBeam's Cloud Readiness Assessment can help. Our track record includes over a decade of service delivery experience, and our customer satisfaction leads the industry. We've moved hundreds of clients to the cloud and can help you identify the best strategy for your business. Call today to get a 25% discount on your assessment, 877-710-8880. The assessment is yours to keep and will provide specific insight into how the cloud can work for you. Call 877-710-8880 or visit centerbeam.com forward slash voice America. Parents of special needs individuals want to know if the care their loved ones are receiving is the best possible. We at Code Metro, developers of NPA Works, business management software for special needs providers, understand the unique necessities of running a successful organization. NPA Works helps free providers of tedious tasks like scheduling and insurance billing. Ensure your clinic is maximizing the time they give to your loved one. Ask if they use NPA Works. Visit us at npaworks.com to see how we can help. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. 
This is Autism Spectrum Radio with Dr. Bill Freya. If you have a question or comment for the host or guests, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, everybody, we're back. Uh, this is Rob Haupt with uh, Valerie Adams, and we left off that last segment talking about collaboration and we were talking about a lot of different professionals who can all work together, but I, I kind of wanted to end the show talking a little bit about parents because they are such a critical part of the team and so influential in just everything we do, everything that their children are doing. And, and Valerie, I was kind of wondering if you had some basic tips for parents of things that they should be doing with their children to helping them develop. Oh, sure. There are some things that I find that I say over and over again. To, to multiple parents, mm-hmm. and one of them is, is starting with infancy. Tummy time is so important for later development, and making sure that children have the opportunity to lay on their stomachs. I'm talking about infants and toddlers, and mm-hmm. then and also time for, from once they learn how to crawl on their hands and knees to not rush them past that stage into the walking stage. That's mm-hmm. a really important stage is, is crawling on the floor. And so don't feel like you, your child's not advanced because they're not walking at one year or whatever. That's a really important stage. The other thing is when they're older, the importance of movement and activity. So many times now in our society, they're taking out swings from playgrounds and from schools because of the, the dangers and risks and liability, and yet that kind of movement kids need. They mm-hmm. need to be able to swing. And once upon a time, somebody invented, you know, a tire swing or a rope swing or something on a tree, and it's, it's because kids crave that and they really need it. So for parents to give kids as much opportunity to do that as possible, I know everybody in the media talks about, oh, too much screen time, too much watching TV, too much, too much whatever. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm, not, I'm not anti that, but it is important for kids to get out and move and do gross motor things. The other thing is tactile input. Being able to, you know, in the old days, dig mud pies and play in the sandbox and, and play with finger paints. And again, it seems like our society has gotten so academic that we're teaching our two-year-olds how to read and write, but we're forgetting that they need to experience things with their whole bodies and get messy and get dirty and be active. That's fantastic. Um... Obviously, I could listen to you all day long and I could talk about this stuff because you always teach me a lot um, and make me realize how much more is out there. So I, I appreciate you joining us today and just sharing all of your knowledge and information with everybody. Um, I, I'm sure it was really valuable and uh, hopefully I can convince you to come back again uh, down the road in the future and maybe continue this conversation because I, I do love talking about the collaboration stuff with you. So. Oh. Uh, Thank, thank you so you, much. Thank you so much for having me. And yes, I would love to come again anytime <laughs> about any topic. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I'll, I'll definitely be uh, calling on you again in the future. Um, well, with, with, with this great conversation, I think the big, the big take home for me personally is just th- this teamwork, this, this idea of working together. And um, that's been a big part of my goal um, in hosting this show uh, these last few weeks. Um, and a big part of what we've been trying to do 
um, with the different types of resources we've been presenting, um, just getting more information out there, really in, enhancing the collaboration uh, of the the clients we're working with, but just just our community. There, there's so many of us out there who are working together side by side, and there's so much information that we can all learn from and benefit from. And and like Valerie was talking about today, having nif- different perspectives, and sometimes it's different perspectives within the field of ABA. Sometimes it's from other different um, just professionals who have other expertise like OT or speech or physical therapy. I mean, it's sometimes it's just from listening to one another, parents to therapists or people who are all within this community that is the autism community. Um, if you guys have more questions about today's show, um, feel free to email us at moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. You could also pay, post on our Facebook page. Um, we have some other th- stuff that may be just helpful for you. Uh, you can always go to the autismtherapies.com website. We have a lot of blogs, a lot of tip sheets there, as well as uh, the history of all of our radio shows. You can click on the radio show link, go to past shows, and learn from a lot of the different professionals that we've had on in past weeks so you can get that fuller perspective that we're all striving for. Um, Obviously, right now, anyone here in California, insurance is a big part of your day-to-day life, um, looking at this new funding option for ABA, but also for potentially speech and OT. And with the other 29 states out there who have already passed legislation, I'm sure this is a big focus for any parents there, too. Um, As always, I recommend families go to autismvotes.org because they do a great job giving you the latest up-to-date information about changes in legislation. If you don't have an autism insurance mandate in place right now, they're going to give you the most up-to-date information about where your state is going. And if your state does have one, they're going to give you great information and resources about how to utilize it. Uh, Also, feel free to reach out to us at autismtherapies.com or more info at autismtherapies.com because insurance has been become a big part of what we're emphasizing and focusing in on so we can provide a greater degree of support to our uh, our families and, and just to the community. Um, as always, I appreciate you joining me, and I look forward to hosting next week. Take care, everybody. We hope you've had some questions about autism answered this week. Autism Spectrum Radio can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Please join your host, Dr. Bill Freya, for another edition next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.